Hey everybody, uh, it's been kind of a crazy week and the USC firing of Clay Holton kind of disrupted my schedule for the pod. So I was recording the bulk of this except for the interview on Monday evening when I was still under the impression that he was USC's head coach. And then as soon as I got done with the hour plus of recording, I saw on my phone that he had been fired. So my kitchen sink has been messed up and the plumber's been here and my dog got sick and we've been at the vet and work's been busy. So I don't quite have time to go back and edit out every little USC reference in this episode. So this is me talking on Tuesday night. The episode was mostly recorded on Monday evening, except for the Dindy interview, uh, which was recorded also on Tuesday night. So when you're listening to this, we already have a uh, Clay Helton kind of bonus break the glass in case of emergency episode talking about the firing and possible future hiring for USC. So you can give that a listen. And if whenever you come across the USC Stanford game recap and hot seat rankings in the segment portion of this episode. If you want to hear my opinions on Clay Helton before I knew he was fired, go ahead and listen through. If you don't care, you can just skip forward 30 seconds a couple times, and it should get you right to the next segment or game. So I think that's that, and we will have our normal intro starting now. Thomas Jackson, beautiful podcast from Denver. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to this week's episode of Hummus Tailgate Party. I'm your host, Thomas Jackson. Today, we will be recapping everything that happened. Pretty crazy Saturday, week two in college football, and looking ahead to week three, some of the big games to talk about. Week two honestly had a lot go down, a lot of unexpected outcomes and great games from morning till the very end. Week three doesn't seem to be as big of a slate, so probably more of the episode will be looking back at last week, but we'll have... A preview of some of the games to come next Saturday, and uh, Andrew Dindy is going to be joining us to talk about the game of the weekend, Auburn and Penn State. So thanks for listening. Hope you all enjoy. So we could start in a million different places with all that went on um, week two in college football, but we'll start in Columbus, where number 12 Oregon beat down on number three Ohio State. This was a... Probably the most surprising big game outcome of the weekend, although there were a few others that we'll get to. But Oregon coming in, they were a two-touchdown underdog. They did not look good in week one. Ohio State, everybody just kind of assumed they were a safe pick, myself included. Um, Especially with the Ducks missing two of their best players on their whole team uh, in Kayvon Thibodeau and Justin Flo. And they're both on the defensive side of the ball for the Ducks. And then Oregon was missing three other uh, defensive starters as well. So they were really depleted, even though their offense is talented, albeit unproven. Uh, most everyone just assumed Ohio State would be able to have their way on offense. And, you know, with the Ducks missing so many key players on the defensive side of the ball, it's the type of thing where, you know, Oregon... I kind of thought they would have stuck around for a couple quarters, and then Ohio State starts to pull away. Uh, Most everybody was quite wrong on that one. Oregon just absolutely bullied Ohio State pretty much from start to finish. Uh, Oregon's running back had an absolute field day. Their defense did really well. The Buckeyes scored 28, but all things considered, 
I think you'll usually be ha- pretty happy with only giving up 28 against Ohio State, giving all the all the offensive firepower that they have there in Columbus. So it was a pretty pretty shocking outcome because I mean, you know, Ohio State was never truly out of it, but Oregon was really up by a couple scores for most of the game. So it wasn't even a back and forth type of deal. Oregon, I turned it on um, when Oregon was already up seven to zero in the first quarter. And, you know, Ohio State was just kind of chasing them, but never quite could catch up for the rest of the game. So huge win for Oregon. This really kind of shakes up the playoff, you know, what we think about the conferences. Everyone myself included, assumed the Pac-12 would be the odd man out this year, even though Ohio State had some questions on defense that we've talked about previously on the pod. Um, you know, it's just the Pac-12. I thought it was going to be deeper than it is. Um, they, Other than Oregon, the Pac-12 had a chance to have a really great day and bolstered themselves up across the board, and Oregon's really the only team who pulled through as many of the other teams either laid huge eggs or couldn't quite get it done in the Buffs case. So now Ohio State, they really have no more wiggle room. A loss to Oregon is nothing to be ashamed of, but it'll make all of these games a lot tenser and tighter going forward when they struggle with their, you know, random Big Ten opponent that they seem to every single year. I tweeted out a screenshot of the box score from the Ohio State-Purdue game back in 2018 when Purdue just absolutely ransacked them and beat them by three or four scores. And, you know, something like that, I could definitely see in the Buckeyes' future if the offense is going to be inconsistent like it was today. I mean, you know, most teams are pretty happy with 28 points on a normal Saturday, but given all the talent they have, a wide receiver and all the hype behind the quarterback, and since Oregon was missing half of its defense, including Thibodeau, one of the best players in the country. Uh, that's just really not acceptable for Ohio State, especially at home. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them have another defensive lapse on a random weekend throughout this season, much like that Purdue game a few years ago that I think most of us remember from the Friday night. That was a lot of fun for everybody besides the Buckeyes that evening in uh, October of 18. But yeah, we'll see it. It's not looking good in Columbus, and now the Ducks truly control control their own destiny. Um, we'll we'll go into more on the Pac-12 later, but congrats to Oregon and especially especially C- Coach Cristobal for really shocking the country and um, you know doing what no one thought they could do in Columbus. So next we go on to Iowa versus Iowa State. Um, <laughs> I am so disappointed in Iowa State. I was you know, super high on them. Like a lot of people were going into this season. I really, really thought that they had a good shot at running the table and legitimately challenging Oklahoma for the big 12. Uh, I was dead wrong. They came out, laid an absolute egg. Like it seems like they do every single year in this Iowa, Iowa state game, their senior experienced, you know, Heisman dark horse quarterback, Brock Purdy through three interceptions most of his turnovers were deep in his own territory, so their defense didn't really even have a chance to stop Iowa from getting some points on the board. He got benched at the end of the game, which is just hard to fathom before seeing this you know, with my own two eyes. Uh, the Iowa offense, honestly, they, they didn't do a whole lot themselves. 
their defense, the Iowa defense was probably the most impressive unit um, on the field. They just, they forced these turnovers. A couple of them were pretty stupid plays, just the ball bouncing off of a wide open wide receiver's hand and going right to an Iowa defender. But Iowa State looked totally freaked out. You know, they had game day there. They haven't beat Iowa in five years. This was in Ames, home game for the Cyclones. And the scene just proved to be way, way too big, much like it was in the Big 12 championship last year, where, if I'm not mistaken, Brock Purdy also threw three interceptions. So uh, I was really excited to ride the Iowa State bandwagon all season, but that is not looking good after they struggled with Northern Iowa week one. I figured, hey, maybe they were just looking ahead to Iowa. No big deal if they can come out, get the W this Saturday. And it was just... It was just a mauling. This 27-17, I mean, in the second second half when it got away from him, it really didn't even feel that close. So too bad, too bad for the Cyclones. This was hyped up to be their year, and I know a lot of people that don't really have any connections with them were, uh, were really excited to see what they can do and hoping that they could challenge Oklahoma for the Big 12. Not going to happen, y'all. Not going to happen. So... Uh, with all that being said, got to give a lot of credit to Iowa because even though Iowa State pretty much put on a huge choke job, they are a very, very well coached and senior team. So Iowa, I was sleeping on them all off season. I just thought it was going to be another eight win Iowa team, nothing to write home about. Um, and now let's see, I checked the rankings this morning. Let's look and see where Iowa was because they were 10th before they knocked out Number nine, Iowa State. They are now five, number five in the AP poll. So they jumped up from 10 to five. Oregon's right ahead of them at four. So those two teams took a couple big jumps. Ohio State down to number nine. Iowa State down to number 14, which after the last two Saturdays feels pretty generous. Um, So... You know, this, <laughs> shout out to the Hawkeyes. I mean, they've just absolutely owned Iowa State in this rivalry game in recent memory. This makes six in a row for Iowa winning. And, you know, that has to feel good for them just with this, every, all the hype that Iowa State received coming into this season. Um, Iowa just puts their head down, plays a, <laughs> another good, ugly Big Ten football game, and they get they get it done. So... Impressive win for Iowa, who's now up to number five. Pretty crazy. I did not think that they would be um, winning this game, much less ranked in the top five this soon in the this soon in the um, season. But you know, with Ohio State looking as mortal as ever, who knows? Maybe Iowa. I thought it would be Wisconsin in the Big Ten to make a push late and maybe challenge Ohio State for the championship game. Long, long way to go, but right now Iowa has been just about the only steady thing in the Big Ten. Moving on to Fayetteville. Welcome to the SEC, Texas. I hope you are happy with what you signed up for because you just got absolutely housed by probably the sixth best team in the SEC West. Um, This is making me just salivate for when Alabama plays Texas and Austin next September because if Arkansas can beat them 40 to 21 then I'm excited to see what my tide can do to the Longhorns but you know Arkansas has been down and out for a long time 
their last couple of coaching changes have just not gone well at all, but it seems like they've really got their guy with Sam Pittman, even though they didn't post a huge, impressive record last year. I believe they finished 3-7. and seven. It was still about the best 3-7 and seven I've ever seen in a college football season because a lot of those games they lost just at the last second, like the Auburn game was super close. Hogs could have easily finished 500 or maybe even six wins on the season. Um, so I feel like they were a little bit slept on this year. They're not a super talented team, but they brought some guys back, and Sam Pittman's kind of getting his train rolling there now. He seems like a great fit on and off the field at Arkansas. Um, and Texas, who on paper is you know probably the more talented team, definitely has a sexier hire in Sark. They just got absolutely bullied all night long by the off- Arkansas offensive and defensive lines. Arkansas was doing whatever they wanted all night long. Uh, they had four different running backs score a touchdown, and now Texas has found themselves with a quarterback controversy, much like they had in the preseason. It was a battle up until a week or two before the season kicked off. They had Hudson Card starting the past couple games, and Sark came out. Um, I'm recording this Monday evening, but he came out and already said that their other quarterback, Casey Thompson, will start next week against Rice, although Hudson Card will be getting some playing time. So uh, quarterback situation in Austin, there's still a lot to figure out there, apparently. Um, I'm just happy for Arkansas. Some of you probably know. If you don't, you will. Going forward, Arkansas, I kind of a soft spot for them. It's just they're a fun team, and I've Really hated seeing them so down and out over the past few years because those of us who have been watching ball for a while remember all the good teams with Darren McFadden and Brandon Allen and uh, Ryan Mallett, all those, you know, Arkansas teams back in the late late 2000s, early 20-teens, and they just really fell off hard and fast the past few seasons, so... I'm excited to see them get back to a a more normal brand of football that they know and love up there in Fayetteville. So they're kind of one of my random teams in college football that I don't really have any connection with, but I like to pull for them when they're not playing Bama. So I'm happy for the Hogs. And of course, I've never been big on Texas. So while I am rooting for Sark, I don't care for the Texas program too much. So as you can imagine, this was pretty much a best case scenario. Me watching this game on Saturday night. It, uh, I thought Arkansas, Arkansas was a touchdown underdog there at home. And I liked them to keep it close. Although I thought Texas would probably pull it out at the end. Or if anything, Arkansas maybe, you know, hit a crazy play in the fourth quarter and, go down and win the win the game on a field goal or a score in the last minute of the game. I, I just I don't think anyone on earth saw this type of an ass kicking, but they they definitely deserve it there in Arkansas. I saw they storm the field whole nine yards. So good for them. Lot lot to figure out after Texas was feeling good. Their victory over Louisiana in week one. Um, clearly a long way to go in Austin. That's not surprising to anybody, but Sark's got some stuff to figure out at quarterback. They've got a couple pretty easy games coming up with Rice, and I think they play Texas Tech after that before they get more into the thick of their Big 12 schedule. So they've got time to figure it out. You know, it's not time to start hitting the panic button or anything. It's only game two of the Sark era, but 
clearly not the outcome really anybody was expected expecting, but especially the the Texas faithful. So, woo pig. Next, we'll hit some of these following games a little bit quicker. Uh, there's just so many of them. Uh, so Stanford beat USC 42 to 28 in the Coliseum. This was one of the more surprising. There were a lot of surprising, but one of the many surprising outcomes of the uh, game day. So USC, you know, they played well week one, and this was the Clay Helton thing has been such a train wreck, roller coaster ride. Um, I think, you know, we've we talked about previously on here how they've had the press conferences announcing that he's not being fired at the end of the year, which is just a sure sign that they're going to be fired the year or two following, because if you aren't firing your coach and you don't have any good reason to, then you're not going to come out, you know, saying that in a press conference. So he's been on the hot hot seat for a while now, kind of a deal. We've talked a lot about Gus Malzahn over the past couple of weeks. Um, You know, it's kind of the deal where, after this game, I'm sure every Trojan on earth is ready to turn the page and find a new head coach. But what he'll do, you just watch. If they keep him around throughout the until the end of the season, he'll win a couple more games here and there. I mean, USC, you know, their schedule, it's tough with Utah and Arizona State being in the division and everything. But um, and now UCLA is looking pretty good, but they'll they'll end up having a pretty good season, you know, nine and three type of deal where it's like, well, <laughs> this isn't how we sh- we're still underperforming with all the talent that we have here at SC, but we can't really fire him after a nine win season, I guess, because you don't want to turn into Nebraska situation. Ask them how bad they probably miss Bo Pelini right now. All he ever did was win nine games a year, and now they can't even beat Illinois. But um, Stanford, it's not a it's not a normal Stanford team that we've gotten used to over the past decade or so. This team is actually not very good at all. I was super low on them going into the season, and honestly, I still am, just because this is classic USC from the past 10 years is just dropping this type of a game and then they'll go on a hot streak in October, November, and they won't know what the hell to do with Clayton, Clayton, Clay Helton, just like the past four seasons that came to a close basically. So, uh, that will be a very interesting development to keep an eye on. We'll talk about a little bit more on Helton when we get to our, uh, hot seat segment. Michigan beating Washington 31-10 to at the Big House. Another surprising outcome, at least for me. I was not very high on Michigan, and I was super high on Washington going into this season. I really thought Washington had a good shot at out- outlasting Oregon to win the Pac-12 North title. Now they're 0-2 after a loss to Montana and just getting totally beat down by Michigan. I was able to watch the... Second half of this game and 31 to 10 is honestly closer than it really felt watching it. Washington scored with a couple minutes left, just garbage time TD. And, you know, it was it was a pretty much a mauling for that whole second half. Um, So Washington, Iowa State, shout out to them for making me look like a moron with my preseason high hopes for both of those squads. But 
yeah, that was very disappointing by the Huskies to start off 0-2. You know, losing to Michigan, if it would have been a close game, I mean, not the outcome they wanted with all the hype going into the season, but it would have been sort of understandable. But they just got their ass kicked. Uh, I, I feel like this is a game that over the past several years, I would have expected Michigan to lose way more often than not. So I'll give credit where credit's due. Not a big Harbaugh fan, but he has been betting on himself with his whole contract situation that we've discussed. And they took care of business. Was it even close? So uh, good for Michigan. That's a big win for them to get get the season really off and running. So they're 2-0. and Washington is 0-2. Huskies are dead to me. Next, sticking with another one of my super high hopes teams in the Pac-12 that let me down, the Utah Utes lost the Holy War to BYU 26-17, another game that wasn't quite as close as the score indicated. BYU really just whooped their ass up and down the field all game long. And, uh, you know, I, I figured with losing Zach Wilson, BYU would probably take a step back, but they've been looking good. They didn't beat Arizona by too much, and Arizona's awful, so I was pretty confident in U- in Utah winning this ball game. Uh, but, yeah, <laughs> another, another miscalculation on yours truly's part. Uh, Kentucky beating up on Missouri 35-28. to uh, This was a game that I was a lot more excited about than I usually would have been with these two teams. They've kind of both got, gotten some kind of dark horse SEC East type going into the year. Um, Kentucky's defense didn't look great, but I think Missouri's offense is a force to be reckoned with, especially with their quarterback that so many people are high on. But Kentucky was just kind of old school, classic Kentucky football. Uh, Just, you know, what they've been doing the past few years with pretty damn good success under Stoops is just keeping it simple, running the ball playing good sound physical football and their running back Chris Rodriguez went off for 206 yards and three touchdowns so Kentucky now 2-0 and Missouri 1-1 and I have pretty high hopes for both of these two teams going forward but especially Kentucky uh, we'll get a lot more into Florida later in the episode obviously with their matchup with Bama coming up this Saturday but I don't, I don't know if Kentucky can touch Georgia. Of course, Georgia's quarterback situation now is a little iffy, although Bennett looked really good against UAB on Saturday. They had no problems, but uh, my kind of, sort of kind of dark horse prediction of Kentucky finishing SC, second in the SEC East is looking okay now. So, I mean, I think they'll have a, they can have a, an actual shot at finishing there with this victory over Mizzou to really propelled their season to start it off. So good job, Cats, Mizzou. They're still going to be, I think, a really good, really good team going forward. Uh, Sticking in the SEC East, Tennessee dropped the game to Pittsburgh 41 to 34. This was a pretty, uh, pretty crazy game that I was watching at the same time as the um, Oregon-Ohio State game. Tennessee defense, like I was tweeting out, it's it's going to be their limiting factor this year. So the offense, it was a very up-and-down game for the Vols because uh, Milton got hurt in, I believe, the second quarter. He had something up with his knee. Um, 
before, even though this was in the first half of the game, he still had seems like half a dozen overthrows where he just straight up missed a wide open receiver. This was a problem in week one against Bowling Green. I saw a whole highlight reel that they ran on one of the ESPN college football replays. And it was just overthrow after overthrow. When we're playing Bowling Green, trash team like that, it's, you know, not that big of a deal. But when you're playing a team like Pittsburgh or anybody especially better, that's a great way to lose the ball game. And sure enough, Tennessee lost by one score, which could have been had with one of those passes connecting. So when he went down, Hendon Hooker replaced him at quarterback. Tennessee, of course, had a quarterback competition in the offseason that Milton won initially, but now there's a lot of questions on who's going to be taking that, taking the reins going forward in Knoxville. Uh, I was texting my guy Alex Allen, getting some, some of his thoughts on Tennessee after the game, and he was telling me that a lot of t- Tennessee fans think that maybe Milton's injury isn't so bad, but they just the coaching staff wanted to put Hooker, he's a Virginia Tech transfer, in and see what he could do. Um, so I don't know how bad the Milton injury is. I don't know where the coaching staff stands on this. It's kind of a weird situation with this staff being new because Hooker came under the Pruitt regime and Milton came under the Hypo regime. So that obviously is something to kind of keep in the back of your mind, just, you know, with Milton being Hypo's guy that he took in, Hooker was already there. And then there's Harrison Bailey, who took over at the very end of last season um, towards the one of the last games Pruitt was coaching. I think it was the Florida game where he got his first start because they had just seen one too many games with Garantano starting. But uh, Bailey did not play at all, and it doesn't sound like he's really expected to. He was the only quarterback out of those three that just committed to Tennessee as a recruit. Pretty high-ranked four-star. But, um, yeah, a lot to figure out there in the quarterback room in Knoxville. On the bright side, like we discussed with Ethan last week, um, and Alex kind of confirmed this. I mean, Tennessee, at least they put up some points. They put up 34 against a pretty good, tough uh, Pittsburgh team that's got a lot of experience. So, uh, you know, I think the Vols fans would probably rather lose 41 to 34 than 24 to 7, like they have seen many, many times in the past. Um, but yeah, they, they've got to figure it out at quarterback and the defense has a long way to go too. Cause even though Pittsburgh is pretty well experienced and a good veteran team, um, you know, their, their talent isn't going to be anywhere near what they what the Vols are going to face when the SEC schedule comes around. So some teams could really put up some serious points on the Vols and make it a long season there in Knoxville. Thankfully for them, they play Tennessee Tech next week, so they have time to tinker out the quarterback battle before they get to Florida and Missouri weeks four and five. So I guess not that much time, but they at least have one game to try to get themselves a little more organized. So that'll be really interesting to watch that develop going forward in Knoxville. Next, we've got Texas A&M barely outlasting Colorado 10 to seven. This game was played at Mile High Stadium here in Denver. So the Aggies were 17-point favorites in this game. Colorado, you know, they, they had a better-than-expected season last year, but not in the same universe talent-wise as A&M. 
should have been a pretty easy victory for A&M, and it might have been if their quarterback, Haynes King, hadn't gotten hurt in the first quarter. I think it was their very first drive when he went down. So their backup, whose name is Zach Calzada, I believe it is. I'm probably butchering that um, pronunciation. But going into the fourth quarter, Colorado was grasping on to a 7-3 lead. Uh, this backup QB of A&M's uh, drove them down the field with about seven or eight minutes left and had a really good play to get into the end zone to give the Aggies a lead. But he ended up, when he was stretching out to cross the goal line, he fumbled the ball literally an inch or two before he crossed the plane. Colorado recovered it. So after that, it was looking like the bus might actually hang on. But Texas A&M got another drive going. Colorado's offense was just so stagnant and just couldn't get couldn't stay on the field, barely even move the chains in the second half. Um, and with a couple minutes left, Spiller on A&M caught a touchdown pass that gave the Aggies the 10-7 to advantage they needed to eventually win the game by that margin. Uh, just a few minutes ago, got a little um, notification on my phone, and it looks like King is going to be out for multiple weeks. So can, it, that's really bad news for A&M. I don't know what multiple weeks necessarily means. Uh, of course, Bama goes there week six on October 9th to play in College Station. So they were hoping to have... I know they have a pretty easy schedule leading up to the Bama game, but they were definitely hoping to get some chemistry going on offense. So they play New Mexico next Saturday, no problem. They play at Arkansas, which is that in Jerry World? Let's see. Yes, it is in Cowboy Stadium there in Dallas. So neutral site game against the Hogs. It looks like CBS just announced that'll be the 2.30 game for Saturday the 25th. Then they host Mississippi State, and then Bama comes to town after that. So uh, Arkansas is certainly not looking like a gimme, like maybe people thought it could have been before the season started. Uh, you know, Hogs have to keep it going, but also the Aggies will probably have their hands full with their how their offense looked against the Buffaloes. So that'll be interesting to watch. Not sure how long. King is going to be out, like I said, but when I figure it out, I'll be sure to share that on social media or give an update on next week's pod. A couple more quick recaps to round us off here. (laughs) Jacksonville State, shout out to the home home state squad beating Florida State 20-17. I didn't even realize this was a close game when it was happening. I saw the highlights the next morning when I woke up on Twitter and couldn't believe it. Uh, just that you've probably seen it by now, but if, if not go back and look at it on Twitter, ESPN, whatever, cause Jacksonville state hit about a 60 yard, uh, pass play at the very end. Dude missed a couple Florida state defenders between him and the end zone to get in for the score. So it was as good as you could ever imagine to draw it up. And then Notre Dame barely held on to Toledo to beat Toledo 32 to 29 uh, these two teams, Notre Dame and Florida State, played last week, and I've seen a lot of people comparing it to the Notre Dame versus Texas game several years back. That was in September, where it was a really good, hard-fought game, 
and everyone thought, oh, Texas is back, Notre Dame's looking really good, they almost won that game, and it turned out that both teams just sucked, so maybe it was a close game between Florida State and Notre Dame, but it was probably close just because both teams, especially Notre Dame, are way overrated, as I've said on here, that's one thing that I will stand by, and I believe I was right on preseason making that prediction. So, Notre Dame, Florida State, very, very tough ones. Uh, Notre Dame, of course, that game was on Peacock, a.k.a. the Cock, so nobody was able to watch it unless you're a Peacock subscriber, and I do not have Peacock, unfortunately, but I was debating it in the fourth quarter when Toledo had the lead late in the game, it's like, it'd probably be worth a $7 monthly subscription just to watch Notre Dame blow this one. Didn't end up pulling the trigger, but well played NBC because I think they had a lot of people all over the country that weren't diehard Notre Dame fans contemplating a Peacock membership with uh, a few minutes left in that game. So wish Toledo could have done it, but shout out to Jacksonville State. Huge victory over the Knolls. And then quickly, kind of want to touch back on some of the Pac-12 madness that happened that we were talking about when we started with the Oregon game. So going into the season, I thought the Pac-12 was just going to beat itself up. Still entirely possible, not taking that off the table. Um, But I thought that Ohio State, just because of the ease of their schedule, they could just get past past Oregon. They don't really have a hard game. Yeah, I mean, we'll see about Penn State and Michigan. Still a lot to learn with those two teams, but they're they're looking pretty good. But nobody really should be able to touch Ohio State with all of their talent and coaching. Um, but now their backs are up against the wall. Oregon controls its own destiny. It was a big, big morning for the Pac-12, and then you're thinking, okay, USC, big favorite over Stanford. Utah, touchdown favorite over BYU. Colorado, lucked out with the quarterback situation at A&M. Washington was a dog, but it wouldn't have been too late to save their season with the victory at the big house. All four of those teams all lose really disappointed in everybody except for Colorado you know there's so much like there's only so much that they can do and they were just not not ready for an A&M type of team but they played well um but 2010 is the last time the Pac-12 had an undefeated team through the end of the regular season which was Oregon that was the year that they went on to play Auburn in the national championship one of those great Chip Kelly teams so Arizona State is still uh, undefeated. They play BYU this week. We'll talk about that a little bit later as well. But Oregon, you know, maybe the Ducks are truly back. It's really about time because Cristobal has been there for a few seasons now. And, you know, they've been recruiting so well. Like, it's time to... They've been they've been solid under him, but they've never been, you know, a playoff team or anything like that. So... It's time for them to live up to the recruiting hype and for Cristobal to show everybody that he can really get this program on an elite level, not just a very good level, but an elite playoff level. And hey, great start. So I'm uh, interested to see how the rest of that Pac-12, Big Ten kind of playoff picture shakes out down the road. Uh, Oregon, Ohio State, they're both still... Obviously, Oregon, but Ohio State is still, you know, alive and in contention if they run the table, um, especially if Oregon does really well for the rest of the season. But, yeah, that'll be pretty fascinating to watch going forward. So, 
Now we're going to look ahead to week three, this upcoming Saturday, the 18th. Not as big of a slate as last week, unfortunately, but I know most of my peeps listening on here are either Alabama or Auburn fans, and if not, then SEC fans in general. So we've got really the two headlining games with both of our teams from Alabama with the Tide traveling to Florida and Auburn traveling to Happy Valley to take on Penn State. Uh, We're going to start off with Auburn-Penn State. Game day, wide out, night game should be huge. Penn State, they they surprised me with the win at Camp Randall week one to start off the season. I was really high in Wisconsin, so that was a tough one for me. Graham Mertz and his 18 fumbles single-handedly destroyed our best bet. Wisconsin ran 95 plays that game and only scored 10 points. So it was just a really weird anomaly game that if you play the game 10 times, Penn State probably loses more often than not. But we only played it once, and Penn State won. They took care of business with some cupcake last weekend. I don't even know who, don't care. So Auburn and Penn State, both 2-0 and rolling in. Auburn has the... Actually, the best, uh, the number one scoring defense and offense going into this uh, huge matchup in Happy Valley. Of course, Auburn hasn't played anybody, so still a lot to, a lot we're going to learn on Saturday about this Tiger squad with the new coaching staff and everything, but everything I've heard suggests that Bo Nix uh, seems to be a lot more comfortable, which how could you not be being in a more normal offense? But enough of me jibber-jabbering. We are excited to have Andrew Dindy on the show. So here he is, and we're going to be talking about the Auburn-Penn State game coming up. All right, good to go. So I haven't watched any Auburn the first two weeks, just with the nature of the opponents. Yeah, that's understandable. I saw... Auburn leads the country in scoring and or scoring offense and defense. So, I mean, you can obviously only make so much out of it with what Akron and Alabama state, but still, I mean, at least you're not like Florida state struggling with, you know, a way inferior opponent talent wise to start off the season, especially with the new coaching and everything. So what have you, kind of taken away from the first couple weeks for especially those who haven't caught any of the games? So kind of like talking to that point, um, I would say that even though they were meager opponents, the margin of victory is still very uncharacteristic for an Auburn team Mm -hmm. because, you know, I... For Alabama State specifically, I was expecting like 36 to 0, not like a complete ass whooping the way it was, because I don't know, there's like this attitude with Auburn, and it's been a it's been a thing until or since we won the national championship when we play cupcake teams at home, like after we have a win under our belt, for some reason we just decide that we're gonna let up and the first half of a game against a really easy opponent. Mm -hmm. And that still happened, mind you, in Alabama State game. Um, Bo Nix didn't look 
as good as he did in the Akron game where he went 20 for 22 and looked like a completely different quarterback than he was last season. He was kind of getting back into that bad headspace that I kind of associate him with. Um, I think he only had like around 120 passing yards when it was all said and done. Our running game kind of uh, held the torch for us as well as like those big defensive scoring plays that gave us that silly title of highest scoring defense in the league. Um, But all that being said, uh, we are doing better than I expected, which is kind of shitty to say as like a dedicated Auburn fan, because this team is like not super different personnel than what it was two years ago. And we had a, a decent 10 win season. Like we have a lot of veterans on, the defensive and offensive side of the ball. So, I mean, huge coaching changes like all across the board, but the same guys that we've been familiarizing ourselves with the past two or three years, essentially. Um, But it's just, it's still, I think, hard to build an opinion on a head coach, particularly. I know the other, coordinators have experience in SEC football games, but like having a coach that's never competed in an SEC environment, how can you judge your first two wins against like not good football teams? Like I think Akron's won one game in the past they were two bad. seasons. They were bad like, last year. Yeah. So Jacob Borland was texting me before that, trying to make, trying to get me to hop on like minus 37 or something like that and sending me scores of like, you know, Bowling Green and Ball State beating Akron by 50 or 60. So, and those two teams are (laughs) like probably the next worst teams in the country. (laughs) But, um, I don't know. I still see a lot of promise compared to, um, Gus Malzahn his more recent years um, just because we're like playing a brand of football that seems more based in orthodox fundamentals, if that makes sense. Like our receivers are actually running routes, which is just mind blowing for me. I've never known an Auburn team that does that. And we were like cutting and running posts. And I was like, wow, this is crazy. Yeah. So I think that's a good sign. Um, And the defense has, uh, under Derek Mason, seemed to kind of transform to this. uh, With Kevin Steele, he he liked to keep the ball in front of his team a lot, which was effective in its own right. But obviously it seems like we're a little hungrier for the ball this year. Our defensive backs are uh, making more plays on the ball where they would kind of just be physical in their coverage and try to get the receiver to, I don't know, drop the ball instead of actually making a play on the ball. Mm-hmm. And that I still liked that style of defense. Like Kevin Steele was great. And it I'm was always really him. good. Yeah. I'm going to miss his attitude, but it is cool to see like a secondary that's largely the offspring of his systems coming in to a new defensive coordinator and uh, seemingly adding a new skill set under their tool belt. So, um, apart from that, our running game is the same. 
plus Jarquez Hunter, who's super talented, probably more talented than Sean Shivers, who was the proclaimed number two guy. But I think you'll see him more as a number three reliever just because he's like the senior guy and he's famous for the Iron Bowl touchdown mm-hmm. where he knocked that dude's helmet off. But I think Tank and Jarquez are far more skilled, but he's still a good reliever. Um and plays really physical football, which is hilarious because he's like a legal dwarf. Yeah, but, um, yeah, he's he's small. So he got but, up under the helmet because he's just like, you know. <laughs> yeah. And he's still, like, that is his play. Like, he has done that to his own players before. Um, yeah. He bowling balled, like, three of our players who were blocking for him, like, into the end zone in the Akron game. And it was kind of funny because he could have definitely hurt somebody. But, what's, um, so what's the other cat's name? Jarquez Hunter. Is he a freshman? He, I think so. He ran, he's a freshman or a transfer sophomore. I can't remember. Um, okay. But he ran the 94-yard touchdown last week. And okay. he's kind of a one-cut guy like Tank Bigsby is, where he makes one move and he knows where he's going after that and just kind of blasts off, which is a really fun running style to watch. Um, but, like, all that being said, it all comes down to the same thing it has for the past two years. And that is if Bo Nix can fight this mental battle that he has been fighting ever since he stepped on the field for us. Like, I, I don't know if people pay attention as much as I do, but that cat is like, he gets visibly flustered so easily. And, um, you can just tell that he's fighting an internal battle battle and it kind of like can project onto his teammates at times. And I think ultimately that's why our season was so bad last year. Um, like Ethan in the last episode referenced that really bad Georgia pick. And I relate that throw to his South Carolina performance last year where he was just those kinds of plays late in the game, he looks like he wants to be off of the field. He's like, I can't handle this. I'm imploding. So I'm going to get off the field by just doing something stupid. I don't know if that sounds crazy, but. No, I remember the South Carolina game last year specifically. And it was probably a couple of other games too, when things were starting to really kind of unwind. Mm -hmm. But I remember seeing him on the sidelines, probably after a, interception or just a bad drive and just the body language was pretty awful and at certain points it looked like him and like seth williams were just like beefing and like if there's one guy that he doesn't need to be beefing with it's probably seth williams his saving grace yeah right And, and go ahead that's not the only time that he's yelled at his teammates when things have been going awry. So I really think that that needs to go away if this team is going to be successful. So Um, clearly he's had, you know, his ups and downs. It's been kind of a weird career, but he's also just been in a weird system. But now Seth Williams is gone. Uh, What's his name? Schwartz is gone. mm -hmm. Uh, I feel like there was another receiver that is gone from last year, but this receiver core has to be pretty, if they're not young, then at least inexperienced with actual game time reps. 
So, I mean, you commented already about them running normal routes and not just the Malzahn bubble screen special type of thing that everyone got so used to over the past several years. But who are, what's the receiving core like? And I mean, I assume the passing game is looking a little bit more just competent and coherent in the new system. Yep. So Demetrius Robertson is our only upperclassman on our receiving core, I believe. He's uh, number zero, and he's good. He is one of the guys I noticed partaking in actual route running, and it made me really happy. But other than that, you're right. Everybody is a sophomore or freshman, I believe. Um, Xavion Capers is a sophomore. Javarius Johnson is a sophomore. And a guy that I'm really high on right now is Kobe Hudson, number five. He doesn't come in on every play, but he'll, he'll show up in the slot sometimes and he's really good. Um, so they're all like six, two, six, three fast seem to be running routes well and not dropping any balls or anything, which is promising. Um, but yeah, they, I mean, Seth Williams was like freak athlete, but you mostly saw him dominating like in the one-on-one game. Like he wasn't just like smoking people off the line of scrimmage. And I think that this receiving core is probably going to be, they're not going to be like this right off the bat, but I think that they'll be trained into that a little easier Mm because Seth Williams is almost tight end sized, you know, like he wasn't the the fastest guy on the field. Yeah. Um, These guys seem to be a little more quick footed. But Schwartz oh. was usually the fastest guy on the field. And, and like and, that Auburn offense, like just last year, like had so much talent, but just coming from like the opposing fan base's perspective, it always felt like, you know, I mean, they played a really good game against us in the 2019 Iron Bowl, but it kind of always felt like they weren't really tapping into the potential of these wide receivers and I remember even like up to the NFL draft in April I felt like well whoever gets Williams and Schwartz are probably going to get a pretty good steal wherever they get taken because if they were on just like a normal ass offense they would be featured a lot more and you know probably have a higher draft grade so I think I think what Seth Williams is on the Broncos I don't know if he ended up making the the 53-man roster maybe with Judy Hurt now he mm-hmm. might get a chance, and I don't know where Schwartz went, but he's at the Browns. The Browns, okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, they were both super talented, and Auburn always has a beast at running back, and it just felt like, you know, I mean, rarely was the true potential of all those guys tapped into. But back to Bo, like, I mean, obviously, anybody who watched any Auburn last year could tell that he was flustered, and that's, you know, probably. Partially on him, you got to be better as the leader of the team and, you know, take out your frustrations in a, in a better fashion. But I mean, how, like, how much of it do you kind of blame on the scheme that is frustrating in nature if you're not Cam Newton or Nick Marshall a lot of the time? Or, and how much of it do you think is like Nick's own shortcomings? I, so man, I have like a super meta answer to this and I'm scared to get into it. I'll start with the more like nuts and bolts 
and then maybe move into the other. Okay. Because Nix is like clearly very athletic and capable, but he is also like the guy running things out there. And you've seen him win big games like the Iron Bowl two years ago. He was where he like, made like no mistakes. Yes. If he throws he one showed, pick, then we probably win that game. And he was right. like, and that's when he was a freshman too. And he like and, didn't waver at all. And closing out the game, it was just like, I was like, damn, this kid's got a lot of poise, even though he was shaky through some of our losses that season. Mm-hmm. His first game of the season or the first first game of his career, I was like, shit, this dude like wants to win badly. So I think it does have a little bit to do with his headspace at times, but also I think that that headspace could be a product of the frustration of working in Gus's system and a Chad Morris system last year, which was even worse, which we didn't even know was possible, but it happened. But another reason I think that this team in general is uh, has struggled the way it has is because the Auburn athletic politics have changed so severely over the course of like it obviously the plant the seed was planted um with the cam newton championship and then it kind of budded over even more when we made it to the national championship with mcmarshall and lost to james winston florida state and you throw in like Bruce Pearl coming and taking us to a final four and a baseball team that's making it deep in the playoffs. All of a sudden gymnastics gold medalist. Yes. yes. <laughs> There's like this for me as a lifetime fan out of nowhere, kind of like, okay, we have to be the fucking best at everything. And, you know, I grew up with my parents who are both alumni and we watched Auburn games in the Tuberville era, which is what I most romanticize, I guess, as an Auburn fan, because it was low pressure. We went like eight and four, nine and three every season, had some big, a big upset every year. And it was just fun to watch. And it was capped off by this miraculous season with Gene Chizik and Cam Newton. And all of a sudden, I think, a lot of people got greedy and the school started growing significantly and a lot more wealthier people started going to school there. And that all kind of snowballs into where we are now. And the booster program is bigger than it's ever been. And there's more money behind the shit than there's ever been in my lifetime that I remember. And we're living in this inevitable shadow of Alabama More cooks in the kitchen. (laughs) And I don't know. There's just this strange energy in the quote unquote Auburn family, if you will, where a ton of people who might be newer to Auburn fandom think that they are supposed to be contenders every year. And then there's this, I don't know if anybody feels the same way as me, but like there's a little bit of cynicism going on where, you know, if we're, if we're going to cut scholarships 
to fund this football team, which we have done a startling amount. And if we're going to charge students to power this jumbotron for the right amount of time, according to Alabama Power, for it to legally be built, then I'm going to expect a football team to be fully prepared to contend with Alabama every year. And I don't I didn't necessarily need that, you know. And so you mix those say that those are the two kinds of fans. Obviously, that is not the only two kinds of fans, but say that it is just for the sake of this picture I'm painting. And you put that behind these kids who, I mean, they're not like five-star recruits like all the Bama guys are. They're not all going to be first round, second round. Like at best, we've got second rounders and maybe one second rounder, a few third, fourth round guys and some fifth and sixth round guys. Like they're, they're a good group of athletes, but they're not top tier. And I think it can just create kind of a monetized stress on the entire team. And Bo Nix is the face of the team right now coming into his junior year. And he's probably feeling that a lot, especially coming off of a not good year. And I just, based on what I know about him, I don't think that he is in the kind of headspace to handle pressure like that. So it's going to be interesting to see if these, these new coaches can wrangle him in and get him where he needs to be to be a leader on this team. Because we have leaders on the other side of the ball mm-hmm. that, that I think can do it. Um, that's where most of our NFL talent is. But like Bo Nix, I mean, as athletic as he is, I don't think he's going to have an NFL career. So you've got a very college quarterback trying to play superstar football and – I don't know. It it creates pressure for him and it creates pressure for the fans. Like we've really got ourselves in a little cesspool here of expectation management. And I hope that everybody is managing their expectations realistically. Yeah. Well, speaking of pressure, he's going to face a little bit with over a hundred thousand Nittany lion fans on Saturday. Yep. Number 22 Auburn travels to number 10 Penn State for the primetime game of the weekend. Big whiteout game up in Happy Valley. Um, it's going to be a really good one. Right now, Penn State's like a six and a half point favorite. The last time I saw a couple of days ago, I really don't know what the hell to make out of this game because I've got, I mean, I'm a lot more familiar with Auburn than I am Penn State, obviously, but I think they have a lot of questions of their own with their quarterback and they just had a really weird year last year. And I think they, they started Oh, and five last year before winning a couple games at the end of the season. And it was kind of, it seems like it was a fluky bad year just because they did have issues with COVID and like a lot of like an abnormal amount of injuries and whatnot. But like I've said on here before, like everyone who had a bad year kind of used COVID as a convenient excuse. Yeah. So it's like, it's still too soon to tell for a lot of people and their game. Oh, I watched a good bit of their game. Huh? Your audio cut out for a second, but it's back. Okay. We're good. Um, yeah. Their game against Wisconsin was like really weird too. Cause Wisconsin ran like 95 plays really kind of controlled the whole game, but they only scored 10 points because their quarterback fumbled it like 
12 times in the red zone. Yeah. So it was just like, just kind of a classic sloppy physical big 10 game. So like I left that game still not really knowing any, I mean, it was impressive. They went into camp Randall and got the win, but it was still just such a weird game with all the turnovers and, you know, it was, it felt like it was more so Wisconsin coughing it up than Penn state taking it from them. But you got to credit them for going on the road, especially week one after a pretty bad season, getting that win from a Wisconsin team that at least I thought was going to be pretty good. So yeah, their quarterback, Sean Clifford. I mean, I think he's, I think he's a senior, but he's kind of had his ups and downs a lot like Knicks. And I think the Penn state fans are, you know, I think the talent's there, but maybe is he just ready mentally to take the next step forward to get them? Um, Cause right now they're number 10, but you know, it'll be interesting to see if they stay in that top 10 level as the season goes on, or if the, if they kind of dive off. So what are your thoughts on the game? And um, I guess, I guess what would, you know, are you expecting Auburn to win? And if not, you know, what would still be a, an outcome that you would feel pretty optimistic with if, if that's the case. So I watched the Wisconsin Penn state game pretty attentively, just knowing that that was our first big opponent. Um, I will say that Bonex does not like loud stadiums. He doesn't even like when his own stadium is loud and that it will be (laughs) Nittany Lions fans are loud as fuck. So um, I actually saw some parallelisms in uh, the way Wisconsin played Penn State and the way we might perform because Wisconsin was running the ball all over them until they got in the red zone where it would seem like either Wisconsin made a mistake or the Nittany Lions defense just kind of like got some attitude going and disrupted shit. And historically, Bo Nix does not do well when he gets down in the red zone. So either we're going to be kicking a lot of field goals, at least in the first half, um, because our running backs are definitely going to get us to where we need to be to score. It's just going to be a matter of uh, what our play calling is like in the red zone against uh, actually decent defense. We've mainly been scoring on big plays so far this year, so I don't have any sense of what it's like when we're dealing with a smaller field. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, running game shouldn't be an issue at all, especially since we have three guys that are super physical and fast and way bigger than the Wisconsin guys were. And the Wisconsin running backs were mowing over Penn State's linebackers. So... That was promising. Um, I think that on the defensive side of the ball, that's where you're going to see Auburn kind of, if we do take over this game, it's going to be there just because of our sheer physicality. Like all of our defensive backs are large and physical and we have Owen Papo and Zacoby McLean, who are like super fast, but big linebackers flying around out there calling signals for us and stuff. And I think that they're going to be able to rattle the Penn State offense pretty easily, not to mention Colby Wooden coming off the edge and just terrorizing that QB. Penn State's offensive line looked okay, but not great. Um, 
So look for the defense to be the difference maker. I expect to win, but if we lose, I will not be surprised. Um, I, I think it's going to be all field goals in the first half. And then maybe we open up with a couple of touchdowns in the second half and win like 23, 17, something weird like that. 23, Um, 17. Yeah. I was about to say in my notes, I've got Penn state pretty weak front seven, but a good secondary. So mm -hmm. I could definitely see Auburn establishing the run, come out, flex a little bit on defense and, might just be kind of a good old school physical game, which, you know, if you can really establish the run and take, take a lot of pressure off of Bo, that'll probably help out a lot, especially down the stretch when it'll probably be a close game, but. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and if we win in a loud ass stadium um, that far from home, I'll be feeling pretty good, at least in the sense that we'll be able to compete with the better teams on our schedule because, you know, we have Georgia and Bama at home, which is always comforting, even though it's never that comforting. (laughs) Um, But, yeah. Yeah, I was looking at y'all's schedule, and this is not news to any Auburn fans, but my God, you have a break next week with Georgia State. Then it's at LSU, Georgia, at Arkansas, Ole Miss, at AM State, at Carolina, Bama. Like, there's just no, like, Bama has a hard next month with uh, at Florida, Ole Miss, and at AM. But then after that, we kind of get like State, Arkansas, a couple of like still, I mean, pretty solid teams, but lesser as far as the West goes to kind of backload our schedule a little bit, but Auburn, it's just like every other week, it's like, you know, possible playoff team basically. So that's, <laughs> it's, it's brutal, but this is our easiest schedule in years. And like, that's, yeah, <laughs> I guess having South Carolina for your crossover game is really nice because the bottom mm-hmm. of the East is pretty horrible, <laughs> but um, yeah, at least you didn't get like Florida or like even Kentucky is a really good this yeah. year and you got them last year but arkansas is fucking good too dude they're scared yeah i had a lot of fun watching that one on saturday night that was awesome <laughs> i bet you did <laughs> all right well we got 23 17 tigers the official dinders prediction anything else before we get out of here i think that's about all i got yes actually so i've been listening to uh west side guns new album a lot and there's an outro on there and it's like this just jovial Eastern European guy describing how you pronounce Richard Meal, which is like a brand of watches. And he goes, Richard Meal, beautiful watches from Switzerland. And so every time I hear your introduction on your podcast, I'll say out loud, Thomas Jackson, beautiful podcast from Denver. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. We'll so to. you can use that as a soundbite if you want for your future intro. We'll have Just to cut. we'll have to clip that in somehow. I'll, <laughs> I'll I'll crunch down on the on the audio software and see what I can do. But cool, you'll have to send me the send me the outro, outro so I can see what it's about. Oh, I will for sure. I'll give you some context. Awesome. Well, um, I guess that's it. Auburn Penn State at 7.30 Eastern on Saturday. Looking forward to it. Should be awesome. Hopefully I'm in a good mood after pretty big game for my team itself. So I'm, I'm sure uh, you will be. Yeah, I'm excited. 
should going to be a good Saturday. So yes, sir. Well, thanks for coming on, brother. And Dude, uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, I really, awesome. I really appreciate it. It's been fun having having a couple of guests on here and not just having to blab to myself. So you're kinda... doing a great job. It's like genuinely really captivating, and I look forward to it every week. Keep up the good work. Thank you, thank you. I'm about to go record a um, USC like emergency because they just decided to fire their coach after week two. Like, and I had already recorded like the rest of this episode last night, so I'm just gonna mm-hmm. like put you in the middle of it when we're doing the Auburn preview. Um, and then like, as soon as I like, cause I usually don't look at my phone when I'm recording just cause I'll get distracted from like group me popping up and everything. Mm-hmm. As soon as I hit end and like already went in like two or three different rants about like USC and Clay Helton, I picked up my phone. I was like, Oh, you gotta be fucking kidding me. Like <laughs> they couldn't have done this like 30 minutes ago. When I got I the notification, I got so excited. I was like, yes, Jackson's going to be able to talk about this this week. Yeah. Cause so- the coaching portion is my favorite. I'm going to do, yeah. So I'm just going to do like a whole, like, I'm going to like record this and like the, or put this in the normal episode and then, um, and then just do like a separate, like 20 or 30 minute, just focus on USC that I'll probably kick the USC one out tonight since that's a little bit more timely and then put this one out like first thing in the morning. So it should be, be up when you wake up. Sounds good, dude. Cool. All right, brother. Good luck to your team. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks again to Dindy for coming on, talking some Auburn Penn State on the pod. Can't wait for the game coming up on Saturday night. So next we'll talk about uh, Bama, Florida. This is the first time Bama has traveled to the swamp since 2011, which not to get back into the conference realignment black hole, but it just sucks that we're in the same conference and, you know, teams that are in opposite divisions will only get to see each other's stadiums and campuses once a decade. It's really ridiculous. And hopefully once Texas and Oklahoma come in and they shake the, shake the divisions up and probably add another conference game, hopefully the days of this are limited, but it'll be a really cool hostile scene in the swamp Saturday afternoon. It's the two 30 game on CBS. So Florida, interesting situation in Gainesville with the quarterbacks. So of course, last year they lost their QB, Kyle Trask, and their all-star tight end, Kyle Pitts, drafted fourth overall, which is pretty much unheard of for a tight end. But their offense was really dynamic. They had another first rounder in Kadarius Toney, that left last year to the Giants. but So they had a lot of turnover, but they still have a lot of talent, as always, on the Gators. So Emory Jones is has started the past couple games, and now I guess the Gators are second-guessing their decision to call Emory the guy. He's been there for a while now. Um, I mean, I know he's filled in for Trask when Trask has been hurt or at the end of games last year when Florida had a big lead. So he's a veteran. Mullen knows him well. He's got a lot of experience. However, they have this other cat named Anthony Richardson, who is 6'4", 235 pounds, and seems like he has won over all the fans 
Uh, he basically looks like and is the same size as Cam Newton, which doesn't horrify me at all. Uh, the guy has 22 touches over the past two games this year, and this is a combination of throwing the ball and running the ball. Uh, these 22 touches, he's produced 467 yards of total offense and four touchdowns on just 22 touches. Average, that's an average of over 21 yards per touch. Of course, the throwing stats can kind of skew that a little bit. He also had an 80-yard touchdown run last week against South Florida, where unfortunately for the Gators, he kind of pulled up at the end of this run, and it looked like he had an, a hamstring that was starting to bother him. So his status this week seems optimistic, but I don't know if he will be 100% on Saturday. If he was 100% all week, it would be really fascinating to see who Mullen decided to start. I think we'll probably see both of these quarterbacks as long as Richardson is mostly healthy next week against the Tide. Um, but that'll definitely add a wrinkle in the preparation for Bama's defense against a coach in Mullen who is, you know, always going to be able to put up some points pretty much regardless of who's running the sticks. So on the other side of the ball, Will Anderson, who was hurt in Alabama's game against Mercer, Last week is questionable for Saturday, although stuff I've seen trickling in from Saban on Twitter, it sounds pretty optimistic. So he and Richardson for Florida will probably both be, you know, a little hobbled. I doubt either of them will be 100%, but hopefully we get to see both of them play because uh, especially with the Florida QB thing, it'll be, you know, maybe not so so fun to watch as a Bama fan, but for everybody else out there, it should be really interesting to see how Mullen uses the combination of Jones and Richardson to shake up the Tide's defense. So, I don't know. This game is kind of the start of a pretty scary stretch for Bama with Florida, Ole Miss, and Texas A&M uh, being three out of the four next games for us. I think it's going to be an absolute madhouse there at the Swamp. Hopefully a lot of Bama fans make the trip down. I'm sure it'll be hot as hell, but should be quite the scene. So I think Bama will win probably. I think right now we're favored by like 15 and a half, which I am not touching. We're going to talk about the over-under here a little bit in segments, but I think Bama will win probably a higher scoring game. Uh, you know, I could see, I could see a, a 10 to 14 point victory. So I guess I actually like Florida to cover, but not betting on them. So, uh, definitely going to be a stressful one in the swamp, especially if Richardson is able to play that just adds a whole new set of problems. Cause you know, he seems, he seems like an absolute force. So we'll see. Florida's looked pretty solid in their first couple games, but they haven't played anybody. So this is, uh, since Miami, laid quite the stinker in week one. This should be the first really good test for both of these teams this season. So we'll keep an eye on that Richardson, Hammy, and Will Anderson's health and try to send out any updates that I see on Twitter and whatnot leading into this. A couple more quick games. Uh, like I said, really outside of Auburn and Bama, there's not too, too much going on week three. Um, although I'm sure those games will keep us plenty occupied, especially everybody from the South interested in the SEC games. But Arizona State plays at BYU. 
Uh, BYU coming off of a huge victory against Utah. They're 2-0. Arizona State, 2-0. They seem to be the kind of most slept-on team in the Pac-12 so far because this is their first game against a decent opponent. And, of course, with every other Pac-12 team basically either upsetting or getting upset last week and week two. So Arizona State kind of flying over the radar, but they're handling business so far. Of course, this was a team that I liked a lot on the field going into the season, but with all of their uh, NCAA issues with their coaching staff and all the COVID stuff that they were ignoring essentially over the offseason, it was just kind of a shaky situation. So this will be an interesting game. It's a late kickoff at 9.15 p.m. Central. Um, that's, I believe, our Pac-12 after dark game of the week. So we'll touch on that more in a minute. And then the morning game, Cincinnati plays at Indiana. Indiana, uh, definitely a letdown season after they kind of took the Big Ten by storm last year and surprised everybody. Cincinnati, they're another dark horse playoff team that not a lot of people have been talking about so far this season just because they haven't played anybody, but they have rolled both of their easy opponents and Indiana got throttled by Iowa in week one, which wasn't a shocking outcome to see Iowa win, but definitely win in that lopsided of a fashion, I think surprised most people, especially after Indiana had such a big year last year. Uh, maybe we should have known that Iowa was <laughs> the real deal, or maybe some people did, but I ignored it uh, before the week two game when they beat up on Iowa State. But yeah, Cincinnati at Indiana. Cincinnati is a three-point favorite in this one. I already touched that line uh, just because I think Cincinnati is the superior team. But uh, it'll be a good one to watch to get the day going on Saturday. So that's it for the week three preview. So now we're going to hit some segments on our way out and call it a day. So we're going to look at the hot seat rankings of the week presented by Lee Corso as we keep track of all the coaches who are bouncing on and off of the hot seat week by week as the season goes through. At number one, I still have our boy Scott Frost. He's got a long way to go before he gets off the seat. 1B, Clay Helton appears back on the list. He was kind of in this, you know, tier of him and Harbaugh going into this season. It's like, I don't want to say they're on the hot seat when their team is zero and zero, but they're not far from it. So Clay Helton, after getting just drilled by Stanford at home uh, when USC was the far superior team, at least on paper, Clay Helton is going to have to dig himself out of a big hole if he wants to be back in 2022 coaching the Trojans. So he's there number two uh, behind Scott Frost. Number three, I've got Matt Wells at Texas Tech. It's probably going to take a lot for him to get off of this list, although this is only year three, so it's kind of a weird deal. But Texas Tech is 2-0, but it's probably the hottest 2-0 seat in the country. They barely beat Stephen F. Austin by six points a few days ago. So I don't know how ready they are to turn the page in beautiful Lubbock, but... um, they're about to get into their Big 12 schedule, and I'm afraid things are going to be very ugly. Number four, we've got Coach Orgeron. He just defeated his son quarterbacking uh, McNeese State on Saturday. Didn't see any of that game. 
wasn't at the top of my priority list. But uh, yeah, after their thumping by UCLA, going to be an interesting situation to keep an eye on in Baton Rouge all year. And this guy is not on the hot seat, but like I mentioned earlier, in the same class as Clay Helton, Harbaugh, this feels like a game on Saturday night against Washington that Michigan usually would have dropped, you know, probably in pretty bad fashion, but they took care of business. So Harbaugh is safe for now, safe for now. Uh, the who's not back of the week presented by Texas goes to Texas. Uh, you know, it's early in the Sark era, but Texas always likes to pull the we're back card as much as anybody in sports. It's quite obnoxious to everybody. And I would have to think at this point, even many of their own fans are probably sick and tired of hearing it because it seems like whenever they're quote unquote back, like they were week one after thumping Louisiana, the Raging Cajuns, then they are just sure to lay an egg very soon after like they did in Fayetteville. You know, I wouldn't really be dogging them if they lost a close one to Arkansas, but they didn't even put up a respectable fight. So while Arkansas deserves a lot of credit for that one, Texas deserves a lot of blame too, because they just didn't even look interested in it. Totally overwhelmed and outmatched in that pretty hostile environment there in Fayetteville on Saturday. Honorable mentions here, Florida State, definitely not back if we're losing to Jacksonville State. That's a tough one. And Notre Dame, we don't need to harp on these teams any more than we have, but Notre Dame barely beating Toledo at home on the cock. Uh, Yeah, going to be a long season for the Irish, I think. The non-ranked game of the week, I've got Nevada at Kansas State. This was looking more exciting until about a couple hours ago when I saw that Kansas State's quarterback, Skylar Thompson, is out indefinitely this season he's expected to return at some point but it sounds like it might be a while uh nevada is only a two-point favorite this game is early in manhattan so there's always the angle of the west coast team traveling east for the early kickoff might be a slow start but nevada's really talented and they've got a lot of firepower on both sides of the ball so i already hit that plus or excuse me minus two which leads us into the bet of the week I'm taking the over 57 in Bama, Florida. I know Florida does not have as good of an offense as they did last year. And granted, Bama's defense is better than it was last year when the Tide and the Gators played in the SEC championship. However, in that game, there were 98 points scored between Bama and Florida. It was a final score of 52 to 46. So we basically only need half of that plus, you know, a touchdown to get the bet this week. I went ahead and tweeted this because I've already seen it bit like getting bumped up to 58 on some sites. So I went ahead and locked this number in. I think it'll probably keep increasing just because I think Bama will be able to score 35-40 on just about anybody this year. And I think Mullen will always have a few tricks up his sleeve and run a good enough offense, even against a good Bama defense, um, to put up enough points to get us to 57. That's really not too many in today's day and age of college football. Plus, we have to deal with Bama on defense, already losing Christian Harris for the year, and Will Anderson being iffy. Of course, Richardson on Florida, iffy as well. And their offense would definitely 
benefit from having him ready to go, but I think 57 is a very gettable number. So, bet of the week, Bama, Florida, over 57. For those of you interested, I would go ahead and hop on that soon because it wouldn't surprise me to see that get up towards 60 by the time Saturday rolls around. The group of five game of the week is Cincinnati at Indiana. We already touched on this game. Pac-12 after dark game of the week is Arizona State at BYU. We already mentioned that briefly as well. That's a 9-15 central kick. The tweet of the week from this past weekend goes to his little name on Twitter is Hollywood, and that's at Danny WQAM. He's a host on the Miami Hurricanes radio network, and those of you on Twitter have probably seen this by now, but it was a <laughs> it was a bizarre video. He tweeted, "Well, this is well, this may be the craziest thing I've seen at a college football game." Hashtag Hard Rock Cat. And the tweet is a video of a cat hanging from the upper deck rafters in Miami's stadium. And the video starts when the cat is just latching on by, with two legs. And then way, way underneath him are a group of like Miami college guys. And they have an American flag. I guess it's a good thing that this happened on 9-11 because they had their flag at the game with them. And the cat, after a few seconds of the video rolling, the cat falls down and these guys catch the cat in the flag. And then they immediately grab the cat and hold him up like Simba style. And the cat starts peeing all over the place as they do this. But if you haven't seen this, please go check it out. It went viral all over. This tweet had like over... 100,000 likes, and it was just some little, you know, Miami radio network host. Uh, so he definitely blew up, and I'm sure had a good time with all the reaction to that video, but it really was one of the crazier things I've seen in a long time. So um, thank goodness these guys were feeling patriotic and brought their flag to the game because if they tried to catch the cat just with their bare hands, I don't know if that would have worked as well. Um, but yeah, so good timing, very lucky, lucky timing with, with the cat falling and, uh, shout out to those guys. Cause it was, it was bizarre. So check it out. If you haven't seen it, if you have seen it, go watch it again. It's worth it. Uh, our helmet stickers for the week, these just fake make-believe stickers that I give out to a certain player or a unit or a team that goes above and beyond. Uh, I've got a couple this week. First of all, Oregon's defense. They were missing Thibodeau and four other starters, and they held Ohio State to 28 points, which, I mean, that's, you know, even at full strength, if you can hold Ohio State to 28 points, most people would consider that to be pretty damn good. So they did it while they were just very, very thin, and uh, they just, you know, they didn't let Ohio State ever start throwing those bombs like they did against like they did against Minnesota and really ever stage a serious comeback cuz like I said Oregon was up by 14 points for most of that ball game. Uh the next helmet sticker goes to Kentucky running back Chris Rodriguez who we already talked about. He had 206 yards and three touchdowns in that game against Missouri. So he really put the team on his back and just established that physical running game that Mark Stoops loves up there at Kentucky. 
And now that they have a quarterback who's been playing a little bit better than they've seen in the past couple years, you know, Kentucky's Kentucky's looking really, really promising. So I'm excited for the Cats. Shout out to Chris Chris Rodriguez, two hundo six and three tutties. Uh, what I'll be watching, the best games, the one best game in the morning, afternoon, and evening time slot. So at 11 a.m., I'm looking forward to Cincinnati at Indiana. At 2.30 p.m., I'll be obviously watching Bama, Florida. And at 6.30 p.m., we will be watching the Auburn versus Penn State game. Uh, last but not least, the game day grub. I hope you all have enjoyed the recipes and pictures from the first couple weeks with the buffalo wings and the honey Hawaiian pineapple that's on the grill. Uh, I saw a couple people tweet me pictures of them making the recipes, so I appreciate that. If you want to try out any of these recipes and actually end up making it, let me know. I would love to share it on Twitter and whatnot. Not sure what I'm cooking this week. I'll keep you updated in a couple of days. We're probably having a decent sized watch party over here for the Bama and Auburn games. So I've got to feed it, figure out how many people I want to feed. I was thinking about doing ribs, but if there's going to be eight or 10 people over here, that's uh, a lot of money of ribs to be buying to feed everybody. So I might find something barbecue chicken, a little bit, a little bit cheaper route. Um, but whatever I do, I'll tweet out the menu and it'll be good either way. So, uh, keep an eye. I've made some threads that I'm going to keep up with on Twitter for the best bets, the recipes. Uh, we might end up making a couple more as the season goes along, but that way we can kind of keep everything, uh, grouped in the same place. And hopefully it's a little easier to find if you want any of those, recipes or bets or anything like that so i think that about does it for the week two recap and week three preview uh thanks again to andrew dendy for coming on talking about the tigers and nittany lions with me i appreciate that as always as with all of our guests anybody else wants to come on and we've done a lot of auburn and tennessee lately so probably give that give that a little bit a little of a break coming up here but um anybody else wants to come on talk some ball i really don't know too many people of fans of teams other than bama auburn tennessee georgia so if anybody has a friend of a friend that would be interested let me know always happy to host uh, especially fans of different fan bases that maybe all of us don't hear from too too often so uh that's that for this week's episode everybody have a good rest of the week and enjoy the week three games bye